This is the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast, your go-to place for mindset transformation, self-empowerment, and personal development. I'm your host, Kayla. I'm a mindset coach for ambitious human beings who are wildly passionate about up-leveling themselves so that they can live a limitless life with ease. I'm here to show you how to create the life of your dreams and powerfully step into your full potential, and of course, live fiercely. So let's get started. Welcome back, everyone, to the Living in Fierce Alignment channel. I'm super excited to have you here. I have a very special guest on today. I'm going to be interviewing Phoebe Kuhn, who is the founder and CEO of the Content Emporium brand, a rapidly growing online training company that teaches entrepreneurs how to clarify the messaging, the art of launching, and how to apply their human design to create an aligned, thriving business. Prior to starting this company, Phoebe had a broad career across e-commerce, food tech, startup, and at some of the world's most awarded creative advertising agencies, including BBDO and Leo Burnett. The Content Emporium has served over a thousand students now across the world and has generated over 2 million USD since its inception in January of 2020. Phoebe has been featured in Entrepreneur, in Goss Magazine, and is currently writing her debut novel, Unrequited Sex Lies and the Unexpected Road to Redemption, which is scheduled to release in 2023. So I hope that you enjoy today's conversation and let's dive in. Phoebe is a 3-6 emotional projector and a master coach. So Phoebe, welcome to the podcast channel. Super stoked to have you here. And I would love if you can just give us a little introduction of yourself and then we're going to be diving into BB's business and just the growth that she's had over the years. And just, we're also going to be talking about human design a little bit as well, because that's really been a big part of her business. So welcome to the channel, Phoebe. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. Yeah. Um, I am a, I'm a writer, journalist, storyteller, marketer, business strategist, coach, teacher, all of the things, all of the things um, as a three line, probably a little bit undefinable, but you know, we can try. <laughs> So good. So today I want to start the conversation with, you know, I, I think when I found you online, you had like 4,000 followers and now you're pushing 20. And so it's been really amazing to see your growth. And I always love to hear how people got into the industry and just like really starting from the beginning of like what inspired you to get into coaching and writing and all the things. And just because I know that you've, I've, you know, obviously been watching you and I've consumed your content as well. And it's been really amazing to see the growth that you've had over the last couple of years. Wow. Where do we even start? I'm trying to think about how long ago that would have been 4,000 followers, (laughs) like maybe two years ago. I think Um, I honestly, I think I found you. It might've been the beginning of this year. Like no kidding. It wasn't, it wasn't that long ago. No, no, surely. Okay. Yeah. Maybe because you know what, there was a massive growth spike. I think at the end of last year, I might've had like 6,000 or 8,000 or something like that. And then, and then there was this, I was like on the cusp of being like, nah, forget it, throw it all away. Uh, I was having one of my moments where I, um, I've, I've had many moments where I've thrown the towel in or I've been about to throw the towel in but I've made the big sweeping statement and yeah the end of 2021 was definitely one of those moments where I was like you know what I don't want to grow a business anymore I just want to feel regulated and this pressure of trying to grow and trying to scale and trying to essentially be in another rat race, right? I kind of had this realization that like entrepreneurship is actually just another hamster wheel and it's just another race. Um, But there's this illusion that like we're in control and like we've escaped the game, but like we're still in the game. It's just a different game. So I kind of had this realization and I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to play that anymore. And um, I'm just basically, I was like going to go and get a job. And so I ended up finding a consulting client for like a hundred grand for like a year long contract. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to like be a marketing consultant. And then like, maybe I'll, you know, I'll continue running this one program until it's done. And then, you know, maybe I'll do some one-off sessions here and there, but screw all of it. You know, Um, I think a lot of the pressure came from like trying to run a team or trying to like manage that side of things. Like I found it really difficult to juggle team as well as delivery, as well as the marketing and sales side of things. So I was like, yeah, it's too much and yeah probably it was funny because I started talking about the specific experiences of what I found to be challenging and I just kind of started talking a little bit about like the pressure 
of trying to grow and trying to scale and how it often comes from the sake of just doing it but it doesn't usually often come from a genuine motivation it's just that we're surrounded in this echo chamber of Instagram where we're constantly seeing other people talk about scale scale grow grow so we think like well this is what I have to do and this is what I should do because everyone's telling me that I need to scale um, and so I was talking about like all the mistakes that I made and all of the pressure and the motivations and just how I was unpacking it all. And people were like, whoa, this is refreshing. <laughs> and then some of, some of my live streams, my content just started blowing up because everyone was like, this chick's talking about the opposite of what everyone's talking about. What's going on over here? And then it was like, yeah, it was like 4,000, 5,000 followers like in a couple of weeks. And people were like messaging me aggressively being like, I really want to work with you one-on-one. And I was like, no, no, guys, like, I'm not doing this anymore. So I'm saying. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I should reconsider. Oh, I love how you just, this is the thing, Kate. I love how in manifestation, they talk about like surrendering, like, and you just got to let go. But I think sometimes you literally have to just give up (laughs) and it's like, no, no, I'm done. Like, it's not surrendering. It's literally just, I quit. And then all of a sudden this, all this traction starts happening because there's no attachment, right? Totally. Yeah. The attachment. So this was Okay, so this is this is actually going to lead into a great thing that I would love to just touch on because um, I, for a very long time, had yeah, I had wanted this like million dollar business, but it was rooted from a place of an aspect of myself. Let's say, like you know, my very at the time fragile ego needing to be validated, needing to feel significant, needing to not die you know, needing to not be forgotten, needing to feel good enough for my parents. And that part of my ego was willing to do whatever it took despite the pain. And so it didn't have boundaries. It didn't have a sense of like, well, I'm not okay with this. And I would say there was even a willingness to compromise personal values and ethical integrity because so much of the philosophy at that stage of the game was win at all costs. And of course, when, when the motivation is, is laced in that kind of, you know, shadow frequency, let's say it's going to be rampant with chaos that it's going to attract because it's not a pure frequency. It's not clean. Right. And so when I had done all of this deconstruction work, and when I had essentially cleaned up a lot of those motivations behind that because it wasn't just like I'm tired I give up it was like I can really see how damaging this entire game has been to myself I can see the harm that I've done to myself I can see the harm that I've done to others like I really sat with the consequences and the repercussions that it had on the people that I cared about the people in my team that were affected the clients that were affected I could see how the actions of of prioritizing win at all costs had actually compromised how I felt about who I was. And I was like, I'm not happy with the person that I've become as a result of needing this validation. And so I deconstructed all of that and was like, my most important priority is that I am proud of who I am as a person. And that's the only thing that matters. And I will not compromise that over anything. And that's the highest virtue. And so after that deconstruction work, I was like, this is, these are now my boundaries that I'm instating for myself. And I'm not willing to be stressed I'm not willing to, you know, compromise my my ethics. I'm not willing to compromise my relationships with my team, my customers. Like, you know, all of this comes first and like profit or like significance, like it, it's, it's just irrelevant now. And so after all of that, ironically, hilariously enough, um, you know, I think it was like two months later, the business had crossed like 1.2 million. And I was just, I didn't even know, you know, I shook my head. I was like, yeah, it's complete denial and disbelief. You know what I love about this is that it, I could really hear that as a projector, there was this wounded side of you that needed to be recognized and wanted to be recognized. And it was just the conditioning, this rat race that you're talking about is literally just that that sacral energy out of alignment that is like rampant and like the do more, do more and then that that root center of like, get this shit done, we need to evolve. And I think you literally just came to that point, like you said, where you started creating these boundaries and like realizing like you started recognizing yourself and this is like one of the biggest fucking things that I say to projectors is that when you recognize yourself then others see you recognizing yourself and you are creating recognition 
And so I feel like with that, like you're talking about going on these live streams and sharing your story. And it's like the people are seeing you recognize yourself and be like, I'm burning all this shit to the ground. And then they they see you doing that. And that's like how a projector can share their light and like be seen for the work that they're doing. But I'm like listening to you and I was like, oh man, like even still human design is coming through. And I know that you bring a lot of this work into your, into your business as well. So I just wanted to like mirror that back to you. Cause I was like, that's really cool how you decided that you wanted things to go a certain way and you set those values and you set those standards and those boundaries for yourself. And then things really started to fall into place in a way that was an integrity for you. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was very much like the themes of like the undefined ego that was like kind of running rampant at the time. It was, it was undefined sacral, undefined ego combined that were just like burning me into the ground. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I have my circle defined because I'm a 6 circle generator, but that open heart, my open heart center is completely open. And it's like that mm. drive to like over deliver and get shit done and just push to the end and overcommit. Like it's, it is so prominent, especially because not that many people have it defined. So that's wild. And so when you, when this started to happen, so you're, you're sharing your experience and you're like, Hey, I'm not like doing this anymore. And then all of a sudden things start falling into place. Like that was a, pivotal moment where obviously you started to gain momentum so then what happened in that in that time yeah at this point so this is like December 2021 and all of a sudden all of these people are reaching out to me asking me if I'm available for one-on-one sessions asking me if I'm available for one-on-one coaching strategy consulting people are just like like you're being honest (laughs) and I need some honesty because I've bought a bunch of bullshit and I need to know, like, you know, all these people wanted me because I was talking about funnels and I was like, yeah, these people selling all this bullshit about webinar funnels. It's all lies. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I didn't want to call anyone out. You know, I'm not, I'm not the type of person and um, there was no need for that. But I was just like, look, I worked with someone and I was in this container and the promise was this. And I could tell you that there were 130 people in that group and not a single person got it. And I was like, I'm diligent. Like I'm going to make things happen. And I was like, you know, actually I got it working to a point. Like I I got my funnel working to a point where it was producing like 2.2 X ROAS. Like that's, I, if anyone won that mastermind, it was me. I won. Like I was, I had it going. Right. But you know, the caveat is like, okay, I had this profitable webinar funnel, but it wasn't generating enough money to actually support the business. I had three contractors, I had te- te- three team members. I had an OBM, an assistant and an ads manager and myself. And so even though I had a profitable webinar funnel, it wasn't making like 20 grand a month um, in profit to then be, for me to be able to pay my, my team. So I actually, even at the end of the mastermind, even though I was like one of the maybe like two or three successful people, I still... Like it wasn't actually like sustainable. And so I had to go and I had to do another launch to make more money to sustain the team. So I was like, you know, like, I just want everyone to realize, like if anyone's trying to sell you that you can like scale to a million with a webinar funnel, like it's not actually the story. Like, you know, a lot of people will paint this picture of like how quickly something can be done, but they won't talk about profit margins. They won't talk about like, you know, that it took them four years to actually build a profitable business. My business was only profitable in the fourth year. How many people talk about that? How many people talk about that? No one talks about that. I saw one really fantastic post recently by Maddie Woodward, where he talked about, if you understand these three things, then you'll understand the truth about entrepreneurship. And this was one of the posts that kind of went pretty viral within the last like week or two around Christmas time, New Year's, because this is when everyone's realizing, oh, I haven't actually set realistic goals or I haven't um, set a realistic pace. And I think pace is probably the most important thing that people get really wound up about, right? Because the post was essentially like, there are three stages of entrepreneurship. Stage one is when you are like, I think it was like when you're validating your product and you're trying to get like product market fit. And, you know, it's, it's pretty hardcore and a lot of people give up in that stage. It's like, it's all about the offer or the product. Stage two is when it's all about the business. It's building the systems, it's building the team, it's building the structure. And a lot of the time in phase two, like phase one is just kind of like getting off the ground. It's like, okay, I know how to make money, right? And like some people don't even ever get there. Phase two is like, I'm now building a system that works independently of me. And so a lot, and so for me, this is kind of like, I've had a lot of these conversations with people who are, 
essentially going from solopreneur to entrepreneur or like they're going from yeah like I'm I'm like a freelancer to I'm now a CEO and there's a really big identity shift and there's there's a massive shift that happens from that level one to level two where essentially people are going well I can make a hundred grand myself and I've got all this money left over and I have this freedom and this flexibility because no one answers to me you know I'm not responsible for anyone and it's really easy and fun to kind of stay in that place maybe you're making 200 grand but you don't have anyone else that's working for you right But then when you have to build a team or a system, then you basically, your profit margins go either zero or like negative and you have to start making sacrifices. And so for me, this was like 2020 up until basically the beginning of this year. So two years, I was in phase two where all of my money, all of that money from the business went into the business. It went into testing systems. It went into testing funnels. It went into mentorship. It went into coaching. It went into consultants. It went into team. It largely went into trying to get the team right, trying to get the systems right. And I was paying myself three grand a month for two years. I only started paying myself properly this year. I only had profit left over from the business where I was like, boats, Mykonos, like this year, you know, up until this year, everything went back into the business. And I was living like on pennies, you know, and people don't, people don't see that people, people, people would never think that like you're making 500 grand and you're paying yourself three grand a month living on pennies. And it's like, yeah, man, because everything has to go back into the business, like to test the machine, because only once the machine is operating, can you then enter stage three, which is what everybody sells you. That's the pitch. That's the dream. That's the holy land. And phase three is when the business supports you. And it's not necessarily that you're not working, but you might be working four hours a month. You might be working four hours a week, but you now have a system that supports you. And that's what you want. You, the whole point of building a business is that you're building freedom, is that you're architecting systems. And ultimately it's that you're not trading time for money anymore. But in order to not trade time for money, you need to have a system. And that's what a business is. It's a system that involves some kind of human equity, you know, like human capital, or some kind of like, and and some kind of value proposition, but also like a, a process that is repeatable, that delivers it. And so you need processes for marketing, you need processes for delivery, but everything needs to operate as a cohesive ecosystem. And it, it can take, it can take longer than two years to build. I think I did well with two years, but you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that if you want to get to the point where like you are receiving and you're looked after and it's like, okay, cool you know like now I'm an entrepreneur and I'm like collecting the checks there's there's a whole thing that has to happen to get there and people give up because they don't realize how long that middle phase is going to take where they're in it's you know that's like startup founders being like yeah I'm eating ramen and sleeping on the couch and I'm making sacrifices as the founder of this business for this like long-term vision you know and a lot of people just don't even ever get to that second phase because they can't sacrifice like giving up the good life in phase one because phase one it truly can be the good life once you start making money it's like well I'm making 100 200 grand and da, 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 da. so like I don't I don't want to give I had a conversation with my friends the other day he was like I don't want to give my money to like a business manager and I was like what you need to realize is that it's not your money and that's how you grow honestly everything you just said it was so fucking genius because we don't see people talking about these three phases, for example. And I love the visual that you brought with this because I've even realized listening to you, like I'm going into my fifth year of business. I've always been somebody super fucking transparent. I literally just hit my first six figure year this year. And I'm, I look back and I was like, wow, like that wasn't as, you know, glorious as people paint it to be because literally all that money has gone back into the investments that I've made in myself. It's paid my taxes. It's paid other debt that I've had and I'm like that was like not enough and I'm not trying to say that from a place of scarcity but I'm just like now when I see people and they say oh I'm a six-figure multiple six-figure seven-figure business owner it's like okay there's so much shit in the back end that we don't see in the public eye and it's so important to like consider that it's not just all this glowy experience because you're right you know you literally just talked about all these financial sacrifices that you made I've never heard anyone say it made multiple six figures half a million and I was you know just eating paying ramen. myself like yeah literally eating ramen yeah. like that's a fucking nah, real true, picture true fucking yeah yeah oh my gosh I love the the authenticity of that and I think 
I love also too, because now I can see the way that you share your offers. Like it is about supporting like these three phases, right? Where you're not just trying to sell a million dollar dream right away to people who are like not ready for it because that's just not an integrity, right? I wanted to ask you because I know that you really care about like the people and being connected with your customers and whatnot. I know that one of the, one of the common complaints that I see in the industry is just around when people start to scale their business and they have a lot of customers, it's very much like, well, how do you keep an intimate relationship with your customers? And it's not just, they feel like they're a transaction within a container because that feel like that feeling of humanity. I see that complaint a lot. And I'm really curious because I know that you care about this, how you maintain that humanity within the services that you offer, even after you've scaled and you've hit like these really big milestones in your business. That's a great question that I'm definitely still exploring and figuring out. I think like there's someone that I'd love to just kind of reference as like a really great example um, is Man Francis has so much personal touch to the degree that is available for her. Uh, but she does have such high volumes. And if you compare someone like her to maybe someone that just has like a very automated kind of process where it, here's the thing. I think that if you have the intention and you hold the energy of like, I truly do care and I am so available to connect to the degree that I have capacity. So for example, like let's say someone gave some feedback in a course and the feedback was like, hey, this module is missing or hey, like this module wasn't clear or, you know, this video was too short. I didn't feel like it really answered the question. Um, someone that just was like, I'm trying to get to 10 million and they're scaling for the sake of scale probably would just be like, well, I don't, you know, like it's, it, that's just a problem that needs to be solved. And they would, they would probably either ignore it or they would refund the person and they would just essentially, you know, quietly put a rug over it, right? They'd sweep it under the rug. But if you, I think if you genuinely care and you're like, yeah, well, this is, this is a, this is a question of integrity. And then you would be like, oh, okay. I'm going to re-record the module and you would, you know, you'd, maybe you would personally apologize to that person. Maybe you would personally comment on that post inside that community. Um, but, you know, that new module would be recorded and that syllabus would be revised because, the, and so that's the personal touch. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of like how, I think, I think the way someone this, you know what, I'm going to, oh yeah, I got it. I got it. I think the way that someone handles their complaints, their feedback and their refund requests is indicative of their standard of ethics and integrity and how much they actually care about the true well-being of the people who are buying from them. Because I think the, the degree to which someone takes ownership for a customer not being happy is like, I think that's, I think that's the benchmark. And I've said this a lot recently. I've said that not enough people are measuring their refund rates as a KPI and publicly talking about refund rates. I would love to know some people in our industry's refund rates. I'll tell you mine because I'm fucking proud of them um, because it's something that I started measuring like a year ago because I was like, yeah, this is a benchmark that needs to be measured. And I think that that benchmark indicates, I think it indicates quality. I think it indicate. I think it indicates, you know, yeah, how much you care. And I think, I mean, financially, it actually indicates a lot of other things operationally, but um I think the degree to which you're getting complaints and then the degree to which you're getting chargebacks, because it's like, okay, well, someone might have someone, let's just say person A in the industry who I'm, again, not going to call out and also legally probably would not be allowed to disclose this information. But person A makes $10 million, but they they have $8,000 A. Uh, they have eight, what are they? Have? They have 8% refund rate eight to ten percent refund rate and and stupidly high of those refunds are chargebacks that customers are disputing with their actual bank and credit card eight to ten percent so like you're telling me that up to a million dollars of your money your customers are not only not happy with but they are legally disputing what kind of a business is that you cannot sit there and be on forbes and be proud 
of those kinds of numbers because it's like it's like saying oh well you know like yeah like ah uh, I'm I'm I have this multi-billion dollar business but you know blood diamonds it's like what about the fucking blood man like you know how is that not being disclosed you know and then you have someone else let's call them person b who's making also multiple eight figures that has so many complaints has a standard no refund policy and now is being potentially sued with the potential you know i'm I'm not going to say more than that because it's going to make it obvious who it is but basically just lawsuits right and then you have someone else let's call them person C, who is a, a great example um, that has a one to 2% refund rate. Now the industry average refund rate of someone with a course business or like a group scalable business is about 4%. That's what my CFO and my accountants told me. They said 4% is average. Let's aim for four. At the time we were between three and four. And I said, oh, we're average. Let's be better than average. And so I, I found out that someone that I really respected was one, one to 2%. And I said, let's aim for that. That seems impossible. Let's do that. And now we are. We're between one and two. And um, when you compare that to person A and B, I think that that should be more openly discussed and measured. Yeah. I love so much that you gave these concrete examples of like three different, you know, people. And I think that that's a great way to measure it as well, because obviously people are, it's really easy to share testimonials and people raving about courses and screenshots and all these things. But like, again, this is one of those things just doesn't get discussed on the back end. And I think that, cause I've always wondered that, you know, like I, I see in the industry, like as a six line, like a conscious six line being on the roof, like seeing in the industry of like people complaining or shaming people who are scaling or making a lot of money. Like there still is this stark cloud over, if you're making a lot of money, then you must be fucking over a lot of people. Like this is some of the patterns that I, that I see people talking about. But when you give this specific example of like actually looking at your refund rates and being considerate of like what is the feedback how am I going to handle that feedback then you can actually redefine what it means to be somebody who's scaling a business that's ethical and that's actually inclusive of the types of people that invest in that business because that's like what's the fucking point of having a business if we're not actually going to serve people and it is just about money like what is the purpose of that you know what I mean but it's not a conscious business right it's just a business yeah exactly like you know like oil is a business like and I think that it right yeah and I think that just in this industry because it is about serving other people working with other people supporting people in their businesses and their passions like that needs to be considered so I love I love that you shared that I would love to ask you what would you say is one of the biggest challenges that you've overcome in your business, let's say mentally, emotionally, or even physically that really surprised you and just like might've really tore you apart, but it's just given you so much gold that you love to share with others. Ooh. I mean, the thing that surprised me the most, I wouldn't know if I'd say necessarily it's given me that much gold that I want to share it with others. Cause I don't know how applicable it is to other people, but the thing that surprised me the most happened a couple of months ago. And the, I think the wider theme is probably applicable to others. So the wider theme is this concept of outsourcing. And I see this a lot in people. I mean, I get it in my DMs all the time. People will be like, hey, do you know like a content manager? Do you know someone that I can hire, you know, a marketing manager or a social media content person that can help me produce my content? Because, you know, I just find it so stressful and I can't do it myself and Essentially, that's the frame, right? The frame is I find this area of business that needs to be done really overwhelming. And I don't believe that I am capable of learning how to do it. I don't believe that I am capable of learning how to master this. And so I'm going to hot potato it and I'm going to avoid the responsibility of mastery, which is actually required. And from that energy and from that space of I can't handle this, I'm going to try and outsource my power and outsource responsibility to someone else. And so in the process of growing a business, this will happen in every single area. It'll happen in operations. It'll happen in customer service. It'll happen in potentially coaching and delivery, depending on who you are and what your stuff is, right? It'll happen in finances. It happens a lot with ads. 
oh, I just need, I just need ads. I need, I need an ads person because like I can't handle the marketing. The most common thing is marketing. People are just like, I can't get my head around marketing. And so I need to hire someone else to do it for me. Um, and what I personally found in that, in that two year period was that when we hire from that energy, the business will never be profitable. And what's interesting is like, I actually had this conversation. So this is like, I, I started doing this like intense research on the nuances of like profit, like energetically profit to hold more money and actually have like that overflow and excess. Because I realized like, as long as there is excess available, that if we're not, if as long as we're avoiding responsibility, we're essentially going, I'm avoiding a capacity to hold something because it's the same thing. The avoidance of responsibility is going, I don't have the capacity to hold responsibility and responsibility is energy and money is energy. And so as long as we're like, oh, I can't handle that, we're actually pushing money away because the exchange is going, well, I'm going to give this energy to you to hold. And so actually that's the profit that gets pushed away. And so we end up in this cycle of never actually becoming profitable because the more profitable your business becomes is correlated to the more responsibility you're willing to take. And so what's interesting is like the process of hiring, then they don't work out. The person never works out because of the energy that you're entering into the agreement from you, then you have to continue hiring and all of your energy, like your actual life force. And then all of the profit goes into continuing to hire and train more people. And you burn all of this energy simply because you've been trying to avoid responsibility. Whereas when you are willing to take responsibility and you hire from a space of mastery and from willingness, um, you end up taking your time, being really patient. The process is slow and it doesn't fall over. And so you're not burning through this churn of trying to get it right, trying to get it right and it never working out or like hiring these mentors and coaches, you know, from that space of, well, intuition's free, mate. Like intuition's fucking free. You know, I think about how many people have gone into so much debt being like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just not sure. I'm not confident. I need someone to tell me. And then, and then three years later into their fucking shadow journey, they realize intuition's free and they get all upset. <laughs> so, you know, um, I did this in every area of business. I did this in area of business where I was like, we just need to spend more money on earth. And what's really funny is that um, I, I actually, and maybe this is just me being a little bit too weird with it, but my ad costs were the most expensive at the point in my life where I was the least willing to take responsibility. And the more responsible I was, the cheaper my ad costs were. And like my, my ads are super cheap now. And like a lot of the time they have been really cheap and people have been like, wait, you spend what? Like, you know, like a lot of people will be like, oh, my lead's like 10 to $20, iOS 14. I'm like, it's not iOS 14. It's you and your energy and your, all of your internal stuff that you haven't worked out yet. You know, my ads are like three, four dollars, like, and they they convert, like it's you know, it's you. It's to believe me, it's you. Um, so the recent thing that I had here, which is an example of where I just wasn't willing to see it, was leadership. So for ages, I kept trying to outsource someone at a C level to run the company because I was just like, I'm not a leader and I don't have this ability to lead people. And I just kept saying to myself, like, yeah, I'm a good strategist, but like, I can't manage people. I can't be a manager of people, you know, like I'm too cold. I'm too, and what's, here's what's interesting. And where this may be related to design and how people relate to human design is that I was using astrology to verify my story that I was not a good people manager. So I had this Vedic astrology reading where my astrologer was like, yeah, you have this interesting dynamic with your team where like, you're not really good with your team like there's friction with your team and you have this challenging relationship with people that causes friction and I've never met anyone that has had as much struggle with team hiring and management and firing as me like I've had I don't know maybe 30 33 35 contractors in my business in the last three years it's crazy it's madness it's like you can see where all the money went so I was like I was like yeah I can he was like you know you kind of run the organization like the military and you just want to get the job done. You're so goal oriented, but people are humans and they're like sensitive and, you know, they want your time. They want your attention. They need to be, you know, properly heard. And you just fucking want to get the goal done, executed. 
And it's kind of like, it's not a really good people management. So you need to hire like a people manager. And for ages, I was like, I just need someone to take care of the team because like, I can't handle it. And so I would keep outsourcing this management aspect to an OBM. And they'd be like, you're over, you're trying to give me too much. You're like, this is your business. Like it's your job kind of, and they wouldn't say that. But energetically, they were kind of like, this isn't the right dynamic. And so all these OBMs kept quitting. And, um, you know, I even brought in a business partner at one point and I offered them equity or like I offered them rev share. That blew up like no tomorrow. And, you know, because I just kept trying to outsource the responsibility. And then one day, you know, and, and I started working with a leadership coach on on leadership, on the emotional intelligence side of team things. I started really listening to what Simon Sinek was talking about really was like what the fuck is Simon saying and one day after you know many conversations and many coaching sessions it clicked and I was like uh, I get it I've been ex- I've had because there was all this stuff connected to my mom and the way that my mom raised me and I realized that the way what my mom expected of me which was totally unreasonable is what I expected of my team and like for context, my mom's like grew up in communist China during the revolution and she's very militant and she used to, she used to, she used to hit me and she had these like really very unreasonable expectations of me to perform at a very, you know, like robotic level. Like you had to be a gymnast. You had to be like, if you think about like Russian gymnasts and that kind of like, what's that movie, you know, where they, there's like this gymnast and she has this crazy coach. That was the relationship that I had with my mom. It was like, you have to be this pianist. You have to perform. She, I would do scholarship tests every weekend. Like I was very academic as a kid. Like I was sitting the, like the test for Mensa when I was like 12 or 13. Like it was very performance-based. And so, of course, you can see how I came to that philosophy or that ethos of like win at all costs because that's how I gained my mom's love, right? It was by winning and being good enough by her standards and quite robotic And there was no softness. There was no sensitivity. There was no compassion for me as a child. There was just fucking win and perform. And I was a little robot. And so I was treating my team the way that my mom was treating me, expecting them to perform. And when they weren't performing, and if they made mistakes, I would get so unexplainably upset. And it was because it was just connected to all of these triggers of like, but like, I'm not going to be loved or like, that's not good enough because I've been taught that it's not good enough. And at one point I just realized like it didn't, it was all so unnecessary. And I was like, humans are allowed to make mistakes because they're human and it doesn't matter. And like all of this stuff around my mom and being good enough and failing, like it just all dissolved. And I was like, oh, I see where all of this has come from. And I see how I'm just, totally being my mom and I was like far out like you know I need to create a psychologically safe space and you know the priority needs to be like I've always tried to prioritize the happiness and well-being of my team but I would I would get mad when mistakes would be made (laughs) so it's like you you can say it but like until you're really embodying the safety of that you know and there's congruence 100 like there are things that are going to come up so Um, At that point, I realized that I could be the leader and I could be the manager and that actually the story that I've been telling myself about why I couldn't be that person was simply to justify my lack of willingness to take responsibility to realize that I didn't have to be my mother. I love everything that you shared and I want to acknowledge you for your vulnerability and all of that. And I'm, I have so like, I was like literally pinning things to my brain that I've seen even from a human design lens as your three, six profile that I want to like mirror back to you in a second. But my one question is when you had this realization, because when we talked earlier about the validation and how that was really where you were running your business from, when you had this realization about your mom, is that around the time that you had a breakthrough with like shifting your business? Because that validation loop totally ties in with, you know, the relationship and the connection and how you were driving your team. So I'm curious, I'm just curious if there was like an overlap there. No, it was another layer. So the, the validation thing was like October of 2021 to probably like December of, you know, 2021, January, 2022. Um, like I would say there was like an integration period, like October, November was like, you know, 
that was that that period and that kind of breakthrough. And this leadership thing was really present from, I would say, May of this year, 2022. And I had the breakthrough in, I was in Barcelona. So I want to say September. Yeah, early September. Okay. So it was, yeah, a couple of months, yeah. Yeah. So you know what's fascinating is I just want to like take a minute to dive into you being a 3-6 because you just turned 30 this year, right? So you yeah, just had no. your like, yeah, you just had your pre-Saturn return. And yep. so the funny thing is that the sixth line, because there's the three phases of the sixth line, it's like you were still in that three energy. So you're kind of a three, three, which is like fucking intense. And obviously you're like, I have so much wisdom to tell you from what worked and what didn't work. But what I find really interesting is that you being a three, six is that unconsciously you are naturally a leader because of that sixth line. It's about being the visionary. It's about being the teacher. And obviously your team and these people come to work for you because they see that in you, but you didn't see that in yourself. And so one of the things I love about the gene keys is that when you look at the the six lines in the gene keys, even though in every sphere they have like a different flavor, one of the common shadows of the six line is this being on the roof, but isolating and having judgment or being disappointed or just like feeling alienated and disconnected. So when mm -hmm. I'm hearing you share everything that you shared, I'm like, holy shit, like you were so even though it probably felt like shit at the time, like you were literally so embodied in how you're designed to live your life. And this is now, you know, part of the contribution of why you have the business and the team and the life that you have is because you did that trial and error. And then you went through and you went and you looked at your own shit unconsciously and discovered like, okay, I actually am like a leader. I am a visionary. I am someone that can be connected and show people the way. But like you said, it all ties into avoiding that responsibility. But that's one of the shadows of the three line is avoiding conflict is avoiding that commitment and like that responsibility. And there's a lot of shame that comes up with the three line as well. So I was like mm -hmm. listening to your story and my brain was like popping off. And I thought, oh my God, I need to just mirror this back to you that that was like such an eloquent experience of like having a three line, having a six line, like coming onto the roof in the last like several months. I don't know specifically when your Saturn return was, but it would have been you know, during the, between the ages of 28 to 30, which is fairly recently, obviously for you, right? So I'm curious if you even had those realizations through the human design and Gene Keys lens of your own profile. I definitely like to some degree, there was a lot of realization around like coming to terms with the, the three line. And there was a level of like self-acceptance that occurred for sure. Um, something that comes to mind immediately is that for a very long time, I thought that I had a fear of commitment and it was only this year that I realized that I'm actually one of the most committed people that I know. And reframing that was really interesting for me because it applies to both relationships and business where I just judged myself for a long time and was like, yeah, I can't commit. I can't commit. And that became this like narrative where I was like, I can't commit, you know, like, I'm in, I'm out, like I'm hot, I'm cold. Like I just can't commit to a direction. I can't commit to a niche. And I always just thought like, here's what's interesting. And so this was actually a really big business challenge for me is that because I have this bigger vision of um, building like a, essentially like a media company, a um, like a publishing film production decentralized story experiential storytelling thing I've had this vision since I was like 23 um I always was like yeah this is just like my first business and it's just like a way for me to like basically like generate capital for my bigger vision that I need to generate capital for because I want to fund it myself and so I always had this really weird relationship with my current business where I was like, well, this is just a cash business. And like, this is just for my, and it was almost like there was this resentment that was connected to it for a long time. And I've written stuff on my relationship to this business and how it had been really toxic at times and really damaging at times um, because I sort of almost had this like half in, half out, non-committal nature about it where I was like, well, I'm not willing to make this work because it's not my forever you know, like it's not my forever bay. It's not my life partner, like business, you know, it's not my bigger thing. And so like, fuck that, you know? And so when, when times would get tough, 
I would just get really like, well, you don't mean anything to me. It kind of like, you know, relationship wise, right? I'd be like, well, rah, you know, this is not worth it. Um, and what's really interesting was as long as I saw this business as something that was separate to what I perceived to be the bigger vision, there was this non-committal nature of like, well, I don't have to make this work because, you know, it's who cares? It's not, it's not, it's not my bigger life purpose. And that was the way, the lens that I was viewing that as like, oh, well, it's just a starter business or like, you know, it's just like a, it's just like a cash generation thing. Um, it's actually really funny because it's not true at all. It's not true at all. Um, but it's funny how we can believe the lies that we tell ourselves in order to survive and verify the things that we need to be true. Everything is ultimately just some form of perception. And so everything is up for grabs. Everything is questionable. You know what I mean? Like there is no real hard truth. There is only story. And the degree to which that story is, is verifiable by other consciousness, right? Other people mirroring their belief in your story. But if you think about like, you know, Yuval Noah Harari talks about the shared stories that we construct and believe. Everything is just ultimately fiction. So I was like, okay, well, is is any of this really true? And, you know, Byron Katie talks about like questioning, is this true? Is this true? Is this true? And when you go through that process of like questioning, you kind of, you're like, oh, actually it's just perception. Oh, actually it's just, yeah, it's story, story, story. And when I realized like I'm actually accumulating a bunch of skills and also I can see how this is a reflection of part of who I am and the whole journey is the whole point. And I'm actually really committed to my path and the process of figuring out this chapter of the path is something that I, you know, am committed to because I'm committed to the wider path of unfolding. I'm committed to the wider path of self-actualization. I'm committed to the wider path of fulfilling my potential. And it's not about arriving at a particular destination. And so there was this kind of reframing of looking at the business, almost like, going, you know, a marriage that lasts forever, that doesn't result in divorce, isn't success. Learning and growth is success. And so it doesn't matter if a relationship, you know, lasts a day or two years or 10 years, you know, it's, we define success. I define success now by the commitment to the unfolding, by the commitment to the integrity and the truth of that thing. And, and so when I started looking at business that way, I was like, this is all just process for growth. And that's what I'm really committed to. So rather than me realizing going, you know, well, I'm not committed to this business. I was like, I'm really committed to my growth. Then everything really, really shifted. And so I think I've started like, even in my, because I have a human design container where I teach human design for business. And I have repeatedly said to people in that container, and even in some free webinars, I've been like, what people need to realize about energy and this fallacy of I don't have any energy to work, which is fucking bullshit, is that you always have energy for things that you value. And if you don't have energy, I think you need to do some values work because what that's reflecting to you is that something is not in alignment with what ultimately is a fuel source for you. Because here's the thing, is that like, here's a really good example. That's, you know, I never had an intrinsic value for health I just didn't really, health was not something that was in my natural intrinsic value system, but, but life purpose and vocation and, and potential and fulfillment and actualization and growth is essentially my highest value. And so when I started connecting and values linking health and peak performance to, well, this is going to help me perform better in my career. And this is going to help me actualize. It became like, I can't actually compromise on my health because I need to be healthy. I need a healthy body in order to actualize my potential. And so then health became one of my highest values because I linked it. And so, you know, I don't, I don't really care about being healthy for the sake of being healthy. I don't exercise for the sake of exercising because it feels good. I, I do all of that because I need to perform to actualize what I'm working on. And, um, and so because I reframed that, I have, so much energy to commit to health 
and um and so much and because growth is my highest value whenever I connect can connect anything work related to growth there's always energy for growth so there's always energy for work and so if you see it as separate you know you'll burn out if you see it as something that you're doing for you know like end sake right like I'm just trying to make money of course you're going to burn out because you're not seeing it as something that is intrinsically related it's part of your intrinsic value system. I really love how you you talk about how everything's a story. Like I'm hearing this like this fiction aspect, but then it's like you're talking about how you've reframed your experience with commitment, but it's like anyone can reframe a story. This is like very basic mindset, like reframe your story, tell a different story. But what I'm really hearing you say is that you're giving a purpose behind why you're reframing the story. You're not just saying, you know, I want more of this. It's like, okay, I want more of this because X, Y, and Z. And then it actually creates a foundation of sustainability for you to, like you said, have your values aligned with what it is that you actually want and what you care about that's contributing to the bigger picture. So that's something that I really, I love that you said that. And one of the other things that I love you were talking about in terms of commitment, I've said this to some people just as a quick reframe when it comes to commitment and people are just like, oh, I just don't like committing. I'm non-committal and this, and they, they're just, they're so... And here's the irony. They're so committed to being yeah. non-committed that they don't realize that they're actually a very committed person. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this interesting concept that um, Dr. John D. Martini talks about where he's like, you, like you're everything. You're literally all of it. And so if you want to expand in your awareness, the key to doing that is by owning the stuff that you're disowning, which is essentially Jung saying, make the unconscious conscious, right? And so when we have this story that I am not committed, we are disowning where in actuality we are committed. So there is evidence. So it's like, even for wealth, he's like, if you want to become wealthy, you need to own where you have wealth. And so basically, if you want to successfully rewrite a story, and reframe your perceptions of how you see yourself you do that by finding the evidence that counteracts the story because you can't just there's no point in rewriting it like you don't have it your, your brain needs evidence so you know it's like well, where are you wealthy well I'm, I'm rich in my friendships ah I'm really rich in my physical health I'm really rich in my um you know my knowledge and then when you start to realize well, actually, I'm not lacking. And that's the shift that occurs, right? And so with this commitment thing, it's like, if you can acknowledge where you are committed, what you're essentially doing is you are, and this is, you know, Dispenser talks about this, right? But like, you're essentially creating a new neural pathway, but you've now found evidence and you're linking that new neural pathway. And you're going, I see how I actually have the trait and I display the qualities of being commitment. And so now I can see that I am capable of committing to something. And then you know, and you realize the fundamental truth, which is that as long as something is valuable enough to you, or as long as you have enough of a motivation, you will commit to it. And so then it's simply just being clear on who you are and what you value, because then you're always able to go, well, if I'm clear on who I am, and if I'm clear on what my values are, then I'm always able to commit to the things that I value because I can see that I'm capable of commitment rather than creating this thing that I'm not this. But of course you are. Like you're all of it. And so own it, acknowledge it, see where you are it. And then you have more conscious intentional power to become it in other areas of life. I've actually, uh, the book by Joe Dispenza, you've, you've possibly read it. The Is it Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself? Have you heard of this? Yeah. That was one of the books that I read by him and I, I think it's, he gives more, like if the listeners are listening, if you want more examples of like breaking these old neural pathways that aren't serving you and looking for ways to create these new connections and like bringing in the values and layering things in the way that we're talking about it, like this is a great resource to tap into. Cause I'm like having flashbacks to when I read that book and with the wisdom that you're, that you're sharing right now. I loved our conversation today. I loved your transparency. I feel like we went so deep and so wide with everything which is so cool and I love that naturally just because of the essence of my work with human design and he's like I'm listening to you and I can just see this like coming to life so it was really cool for me to be able to like mirror back to you like oh my god here's here's your story this is what I'm seeing which is awesome and so before we wrap things up today I want to give you the opportunity to share with the audience 
where they can find you, what you're up to. I know you've got some big things happening in January, 2023. So if you want to take a moment to share that, and then I have one last question for you that I'll ask at the end. Yeah. So we have a free messaging mini course uh, that's available now um, that you have the link for. And essentially there's the really amazing couple of classes in there on positioning, copywriting, messaging. Uh, there's a really amazing course where I break down the content strategy of the holistic psychologist. So, you know, for anyone that doesn't know um, Dr. Nicole LaPera, she's like, probably one of the biggest accounts in Instagram in the personal development um, well-being niche. So she has over like 5 million, I think almost even 6 million followers now. And she started her account in like June of 2018. So in like four and a half years, she's grown to almost 6 million followers. And it was funny because I did this class like a, a year ago. Um, so at the time, you know, she's, she's actually grown a million since then. And I break down all of the different buckets of content as part of that content strategy that have strategically resulted in her growing so effectively. So that, that class is like probably one of my best classes. It's free. It's part of the mini course. Um, it's yeah, it's had so much really positive feedback for you to kind of understand, like here's, you know, here's how to create different engagement content that really, really works. And I'm not just, just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like here's actually how to do it. And here are the frameworks for creating content. Um, so yeah, these are, this is kind of like a, a taster palette for what I teach inside my messaging program, um, which we're opening the doors to on the 31st of February. So we have like, we have, we have two levels. We have, um, yeah, we have two levels of, of mentorship available in our messaging program. And then we'll have a self-study course later on as well. Exciting That's awesome. Journey. Yeah. And then where can people find you on online? Yeah. Best place to connect with me is on Instagram. It's where I'm most active. I also have a Facebook group called the Digital Entrepreneur Evolution with Phoebe Kuhn. Um, so there's a really great community in there with like 7,400 people talking about, they mainly talk about human design. There's a lot of human design people and chat in there, but um, yeah, there's a lot of, it's a, it's a community of, of lots of people in there contributing to conversation um and i share a lot on instagram stories and a lot of i share a lot on instagram that's awesome thank you for sharing that so the last question i want to ask you is what is a piece of wisdom that just intuitively drops into you that you want to share with the audience to wrap up our conversation today Ooh. so the big thing that's like present in my awareness right now is to get clear on your motivations because you know, like a really big part of human behavior, like such a big part of my work when I'm working with people is motivation. And the reason why this is so important is because if you want to change a behavior, so like, let's say you're wanting to shift and uh, stop procrastinating, right? And you want to be more like the big question that always comes up like regularly for me because I'm a projector is like, how do you get so much done? Like how, like, can you say focus? Like how are you so productive? And, and, you know, people looking for like some kind of like magical answer. You know, like one of my friends messaged me the other day and she's like, you know, like what drugs do you take again? Like, and she's like, <laughs> people like, what, what, yeah, what, what drugs do you take? And I'm, I'm like, look, like guys, like it's the main thing that you need to understand is motivation. Like, you know, if you are struggling to get, to muster up energy for something, we talked about values before, right? The mechanics of energy is the mechanics of motivation and value. Stand motivation, you understand psychology, you understand human behavior, you understand marketing, you understand sales, but you can also maneuver yourself to actually become highly effective. If you want to be effective in the pursuit of creating what it is that you really want to create, you need a bigger why. You need to get really clear on what's driving you. And it can't just be money. Money is not enough because money is survival. And as long as you're motivated by survival, and not something more profound, you will always run out of energy. You will, because essentially the way that, if you think about survival, if we look at the mechanics and the chemistry of survival, the, you know, the chemicals that are going to be produced in your bloodstream to survive are going to be adrenaline. And what happens after we experience a lot of adrenaline? We crash. So we experience this massive, massive push to survive, to escape from a threat, a physical threat. And then the moment that we perceive that we're safe, our bodies downshift and regulate to counteract that massive boost of adrenaline that we've just pushed out into our bodies and we go into deep rest. So if you're an entrepreneur and you are in survival and you go into these periods of massive high followed by massive crash, 
chemically, that's probably what's happening in your body. And that's not sustainable. So you may think that there's a problem and that something is fundamentally wrong with you and you're going through these cycles of burnout. But actually what you need to learn how to do is come out of that survival response so that you are not moving at that. I have to escape from danger and flooding my body with adrenaline. And I'm now exhausted because now I have to rest to recover from that. And you actually want to find a sustainable pace that is driven by a motivation that is a deeper why that is sustainable. Find a sustainable why. I love that so much. And I always love that you have a way of bringing in like neuroscience and science and like actual evidence. Like it's not just fluffy shit. Like, oh, just feel good about, you know, what it is that you're doing. And then all these things are going to come into place. It's like, no, this is like scientifically what is happening inside of your body. And I remember around this time last year when you were sharing, like your biggest intention was to be self-regulated. And I remember this post, I'm pretty sure it went viral because I, I think, I feel like a lot of people were entering burnout this time last year and they were just like, oh my God, it just, just resonates so much. And it's just, that's just it is that you were probably like, wow, I was just been running off adrenaline and now everything shifted in terms of the values, like a lot of what you talked about today. So thank you so much for sharing that wisdom. And thank you so much for coming on, Phoebe. And everyone, definitely go check out the show notes. I'll have all the links in there for you. And I really loved our conversation and it was amazing. And I'm so glad that you you finally got to come on because this invitation was like from ages ago. But I'm really happy that you were able to come on and, and share your wisdom. Hey, this was a great conversation. I loved it. Yeah, it was really cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you to the listeners. If you can take a moment to subscribe to the channel. And if you share this episode on social media, definitely tag us so that we can hear your aha moments from all the wisdom bombs that were dropped. So thank you again for listening and I'll chat with you in the next episode.